Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again to grab your board. We're going to swim out into that sea of ideas and wait for that sales pipeline as it starts to curl up over the horizon with the man who's finally, finally brought an, another Irish person on the show here, Matt Hines. I've been for years trying to get him to push another. I'm a good Irish Catholic. I'm always trying to get other Irish on the show here because I think we tell the best stories. And he finally listened to me and brought a young lass with us today here. We are equal opportunity. <laughs> Storytellers. We, we invite any and all B2B sales and marketing experts, including the fine arts. My wife is a proud Irish American. Her dad grew up in upstate New York there and his parents were from County Court. And it's I actually found out that um, wow. Beth and I, we have a varied family trees, but we both have family that at one point lived in Kilkenny in Ireland. How about uh, that? Not that long ago. I know. Crazy. How, small how about that? My, my uh, great grandfather, my mother's side, uh, emigrated through County Court. He's from, we found, traced him all the way back to uh, Tralee, which is not far from the little town of Tralee, wow. or the roads of Tralee. I don't know if you watch it. So I, I got really interested in sort of family tree stuff a couple years ago and have kind of kept it up on Me you know, too. genealogy yeah. websites. Yeah. And uh, there's a PBS show called Finding Your Roots. Yes. I've seen it. I have. It's fascinating. Um, and they, they, they bring these celebrities on and they just all of a sudden get found. Oh my God, I have an ancient relative that was, I don't know, Queen of Egypt or something here. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's fun because you see these celebrities who are, you know, we, we see them at, at Oscars and dressed up and in movies and they're sort of on a pedestal and, you know, they react when they find out things about their family just the way you and I would. It's kind of fun to watch. So, yeah. Finding your roots on BBS. We cover all areas here on Sales Pipeline Radio, Paul. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode. If you're joining us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thank you for making us part of your work in place, stay at home work day. I know some people are getting back out, Paul, people are getting back to the offices here in uh, Seattle. I know people will find out down in the San Francisco Bay Area. I think we're on the more conservative side, still mostly working from home, trying to figure this out as we go. But thank you to those that are listening to us live. If you're listening to us on the podcast, thanks so much for joining us again. Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio is always available on demand, past, present, and future at salespipelineradio.com, as well as Google Play, the iTunes Store, and anywhere where fine podcasts are available. Uh, they made an exemption for us. And uh, <laughs> every week we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing. And, and this week an Irish mind here. I don't know. I don't know if she married Irish or if she's uh, if this is her maiden name, but uh, I'm I'm thrilled to have another. Well, now Irish we're going to find out she doesn't. She's like she's like German or Slavian <laughs> or something totally different. Chief marketing officer of Socio. Very excited to have her on today, Corey McCarthy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Okay, this is Mary and Joseph. It's a pleasure. Ah, see, she's got a bit of the brogue. <laughs> I love it. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. It's, it's herself on the show. It is right. Uh, ah, Jesus, me family, the McCarthys. That's my maiden name. I'm telling more. Italian, I don't know. Um, but I, McCarthy is mine. I kept it. Uh, my dad passed away when I was 24, so my mom, my sister, and I swore to keep his name because he didn't have any sons. And so we're carrying on the tradition ah, see, for him. Um, the McCarthys come from Cork. Do they really? Oh my goodness! This is a, this is Cork wow. Day here today. Yeah. It's a family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, uh, we should go for a pint. A little pint. A little, talk, a little dropper. As me grandmother used to say, "Guys, say, grandmother, you drinking? Oh no, just a wee bit for me cough. Just a wee bit for just me a cough." <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and let you <laughs> I love this. All right. Anyone. I'll drop out. Okay. I, uh, if I, if every time I try to do like an Irish accent, it ends up coming out Hungarian or something. It's just not. I'm going to try. I'll tell you just one funny story, and then I'll shut up here. I had the chance to go to Ireland once with my late parents before they passed away a number of years ago. I want to go back. 
looking for our heritage. And I found myself dropping into the brogue here, you know, everywhere I went. And we went to find, we never did find, but we went to find uh, my grandfather. And so they said, oh, it's out in the convent. They, they've got all the records, account of marriage records and everything. We go out to the convent, knock on the door, and a little mouse comes out. Little little nun looks like a little mouse. And she's and he says, sister, our, we're from America. We're looking for our roots here. We think our, our great-grandfather emigrated in, you know, the late 1800s. He says, oh, yes. Where are the 1800s? Where what do we do with the 1800s? They're under the sofa there, you know. To them, it's just like yesterday here. The, the 1700s are on the fridge, but the 1800s, oh yeah, they're under the sofa there. I don't know what that leads to. I don't even know how to respond. This is good stories. I don't know. How we well, you were one of those to, Americans? How we pivot? Yeah. How we yeah, how we go from here to hackathons and... and well, and, it's uh, data. Sort of... It's trying to collect data and all this stuff here. Yes. <laughs> how we store it, how we save it. That was I was trying to lead you up here. Or we could say, listen, the Irish, and I don't know because I've got a little bit Irish. My wife has a lot of Irish. Very social people like to get together. Field events, events in general, trade shows, conferences, gone for the foreseeable future, uh, at least for now. And um, I imagine that was a bit of a, a bit of a shell shock for you, Corey. Um, talk a little bit about your role, but then talk about what Socio is and kind of what you guys had to face kind of head on just a couple months ago. Absolutely. Well, my background, I ran a media company, and so I've got a lot of experience in digital media, old school magazines, um, and running events and how that all kind of comes together. So it was kind of fun um, in January when I started at Socio, um, which is an event platform. There's an event app, registration, communities. So probably about a month in, my second trip to Indianapolis, I'm in the airport, and everyone's already worried about the, you know, pandemic or it wasn't the pandemic yet everyone was worried about the virus and so having been in the event space for such a long time I took a look around and people were starting to wear masks not a lot of people were traveling even then and I realized oh crap this is gonna be potentially kind of big and so I landed in Indy and I was speaking with the guys over at High Alpha our investors and my team kind of talking about what this could potentially mean because the impact that it could have on the event industry could be enormous I didn't obviously know at that time how big, but I gathered my team. I'm like, okay, guys, we need to start talking about hybrid events. And so I started from a product marketing standpoint, thinking about the use cases and how we even fit into the either hybrid or virtual ecosystem. So very quickly, as soon as I came on board, it wasn't necessarily getting a Series A marketing team up and running. It was, oh my God, what do we do? (laughs) So we started pivoting with our content in late February and then really leaned into the thought leadership positioning. The event tech was already there. We made a couple of uh, minor tweaks, which was awesome. My uh, product team was really great about making that pivot as quickly as I did. And then, of course, you know, sales and customer uh, success were right behind. And so today, here we are sitting on fully virtual event app platform, which is awesome. It's not such a far cry from where we were. However, there's a total market that just opened up for us because we didn't need virtual and we didn't need hybrid events before. We were crushing it with just the in-person events. So Mm -hmm. as we kind of transition back to whatever that's going to look like, our company is so much more solid and stable and our total addressable market just more than doubled. So for us, although you you could argue that this is like the worst thing to happen to the event industry, oddly enough, it's kind of a bright shining moment for event tech if you're well positioned and have the team to do it. 
Talk about what that was like, though. Like, put yourself back a couple months. I mean, it's one. I think a lot of companies are are, are attempting pivots. There's going to be a lot of sort of success stories. People uncover new opportunities that they either hadn't seen or weren't aware of or weren't thinking about before. But when all this goes down, I mean, you were not that into your tenure as socio <laughs> when things started going a little different than you, you know, expected. Talk a little bit about that moment and sort of what were some of the leadership lessons you've kind of taken from that. Absolutely. I think that one of the key things that I've been trying to lean into is trust your gut. I think it's easy Mm -hmm. to overthink things. And I think that one of the first things that I realized is that there were no rules anymore. Anything that you thought you knew, just throw it out the window. And so we spent a lot of time trying to tap into that authenticity and being completely empathetic with our audience in time that, you know, they didn't even know what to do. So One of the examples is that with our content, we would write an article one week and then the CDC would come out with another lockdown. They would go from a thousand people at an event down to a hundred people at an event. And so we were constantly having to go back and update all of our content because we were, you know, in some cases still talking about hybrid when we were rolling into lockdown, which is, Uh you know, obviously really tone deaf. And so we took out any sales pitch. We took about any whiff about live events out and really wrote, rewrote and adjusted again to make sure that all of our content was really tight and really hit the mark. So that was one of the bigger things. And as far as a playbook, I had a strategy that I was almost done with. I threw it away. The event space has been changing for a while there. It was changing by the day and then it was changing by the week. And now I think that we're finally into two week increments that it's changing in. So it's mm-hmm. um, certainly been an interesting ride and I have the great fortune to be working with a really wonderful team out of Indianapolis who are down for the adventure. They're incredibly flexible, which has been a godsend because they don't need to have the fully scripted plan in place. They can really roll with the strategy in the moment. And everything mm-hmm. that we're doing is well thought out and strategically a great move in what I like to call my no matter what plan. But Yes, we've left it open so that we can allow ourselves the room to shift and flow with whatever comes next. Talking today on Sales Pipe by Radio with Corey McCarthy. She's the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer at Socio. And I would agree, I had a chance to work with not only you, but members of your amazing marketing team. It feels like it was just yesterday, but I think it was a few weeks ago in the event hackathon you guys did. And I first heard about it, you brought it up briefly at the CMO Coffee Talks we do on Friday mornings. And I was honored to participate in this a couple weeks later and talk a little bit about the emergence of that event and what you learned from sort of not only doing it in a hackathon kind of format, but also just bringing the entire industry together to sort of work together on a solution. It was going back to April 1st, we were taking a look at our use cases in our product and we were going to make some upgrades to follow and allow our clients to do more precise virtual events. And so we decided that we needed to have it done yesterday uh, because that was what the market was Mm -hmm. demanding. And so I suggested that we try to do an announcement in 15 days. Uh, hey, let's do April 15th. And then the daunting reality of how the hell do you do product release in this particular environment? Because nobody wants to be sold. You have to be very careful with things like that. And what I was 
paying attention to was every single person in the event industry um, was talking. They were gushing. You couldn't shut them up about anything having to do with virtual. How do you do it? What do you think about this? I was part of the Event MB webinar a couple of weeks before that had 7,000 people, which is more than triple the total number of attendees that they usually have. And when you talk about thought leadership, that's really what the industry needed in that moment. So my COO came to me with the idea of a hackathon, but he wanted it to be the traditional techie hackathon. And that idea wouldn't have worked. However, what I really did like was an ideation hackathon where we pulled together industry leaders that were influencers, our existing clients, and some really big logos, companies that were doing really cool things, get as many of them together as we could and have the best and the brightest get together and come up collectively and tell us their ideas, not just once, but four times because we had four different teams of four. So my team, and to be clear, my team is myself plus three, we pulled it and did, I think, a pretty darn good job in 15 days. I think it was 11 business days. We were not only able to pull the industry together, get thought leaders come up with some really great content, but we were able to make connections through networking. We were able to foster engagement. We, in this short amount of time, and remember, we're a Series A company, we had more than 3,000 uh, registrations. We had about 2,000 people show up live for that event. And this was my team's very first event, our very first virtual event. And so we were able to keep the entire audience hooked throughout the entire show, which was really a great statement for where we're at in the industry and this hackathon idea of bringing, at the end of the day, industry leaders together to solve a really big issue right now. Well, the energy level, too, in that event, I mean, especially in that final presentation meeting where you were sort of sharing uh, people are sharing their ideas. You have to remember, like, this is back when events were just getting, I mean, they had just been canceled. Like, they, people had this entire Q2 plan that was just going out the window, and event marketers are worried about their jobs. Event planners are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. This was not a group licking their wounds. This was a very excited audience that were coming up with ideas that weren't possible in a physical format, that they hadn't had the chance or time or opportunity to, to really spend the time and be disciplined enough to think about and so the energy level and optimism coming out of that event for an industry had every right to be upset and disappointed and licking their wounds was pretty amazing. So kudos to you guys for doing that. we got to take a quick break here, pay some bills. We'll be right back with more with Corey McCarthy. We'll be talking in our Irish history, talking heritage, talking to social media, talking events and marketing and more. We'll be back. Sales Pipeline Radio. CMOs and marketing leaders have the increasingly complex task of effectively communicating marketing's value to their CEO and board. And as today's markets face growing uncertainties, the need for clear, consistent, and predictable communication will only continue to grow. How do they do it? Read the new research report on marketing's role in the boardroom from Drift, G2, and Heinz Marketing. Get it now at drift.com alignment. That's drift, D-R-I-F-T dot com slash alignment. All right, let's get realigned with our guest here today, and we'll start talking the brogue for the last half hour here. <laughs> you guys can. Like I said, you guys talking the brogue. I'll do some hybrid Hungarian awfulness. I just, uh, I'm going to stick with my Midwestern uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, Corey McCarthy, <laughs> Chief Marketing Officer of Socio, joining us today on Sales Pipeline Radio. 
So we were talking beforehand about a lot of what you guys did in terms of your business pivot, in terms of the marketing work that you guys have done. Talk about what you have also seen both within Socio as well as outside of Socio in terms of just leadership moments. And these can be things that you've seen other marketing leaders do, things you've seen your CEO do, your board guide you through. I mean, I don't love the economic and the health issues people are going through. But this is a crucible of learning in terms of what to do and what not to do. What are some things you have seen inside and outside that you think are particularly good lessons for others right now? I think transparency is uh, the biggest thing because what I found in my experience is ambiguity is a motivation killer. Especially coming into the lockdown experience, it was very ambiguous. Nobody knew how long we were going to be in for. We thought we were all going to be in for two weeks, you know, sit and stay <laughs> and it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And here we are two months later and it'll be interesting after the uh, PPP ends because, you know, jobs still aren't safe. There's, you know, expected, I think that the rent um, efforts to support landlords and renters is coming up. And so, you know, there's still so much ambiguity out there that being frank and honest with your team about where the company stands is one of the better things that you can do. Not so frank and honest that you're giving away this company secrets or really demotivating people, but being real enough to say that this is a huge moment. And no matter how smart we are and how well we try to protect the company, there's a good chance that the wheels might come off and we'll do everything that we can do to keep the wheels on, which is what really makes our jobs important right now. And that's been kind of the mantra and the messaging that, you know, myself and the entire executive team has had. And motivation has never been higher. We're crushing our numbers. The uh, company has really come together in this really neat way where we can really get so much done so quickly without any drama or red tape. It's actually been really fun to see. And I think that it all goes back to that transparency and not allowing that ambiguity to fester. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're a remote CMO. I think you're, most of your team is still in Indianapolis, correct? Correct. Have there been any lessons for you in managing, not just managing a remote team, but managing a remote team that is themselves now sort of working remotely? Any lessons or learnings that you found from that? We do weekly check-ins. Uh, well, actually, we do daily stand-ups. And as part of our daily stand-up, we ask one another how we're like really doing. The other thing that I do is I check in on physical activity. I know it sounds weird, but I think that... Um, Forcing yourself to get out of the house and forcing yourself to go for a walk or do something for your physical and mental health is incredibly important because if you're suffering in other, when you're suffering personally, you're of course it's going to impact your work environment. And so really checking in on people to make sure that they're truly healthy in their personal lives because they're going through so many changes. I've worked from home for most of my career, so I was able to mm-hmm. lean in on a lot of that experience that I had to give those tips, like get up at the same time that you normally get up, get yourself up and out of bed and dressed, get yourself into the office early, make time to go work out, you know, just those fundamentals that I've known and just focus on business because right now when basically shit hit the fan, we have the potential to do something really cool here. And wouldn't it be great to focus on something really cool than focus on all of the scary stuff going on in the world right now? Amazing. So, I mean, you guys have done an incredible pivot to to really supporting the virtual event space. When do you think we will get back to going to live events? And what do you think the balance might be for companies looking at live versus virtual once we get into, once we settle into some version of a new normal? I think it's going to 
going to be a while yet. I think that the next two weeks are going to be pretty big. We just got done with um, Memorial Day with a lot of people opening up and going out. So I think it depends on what we see as a spike and what we see as the government's reaction to that spike. I think that that will give us a really good indicator of what it's going to be like for the next few months. We have clients already looking to go virtual in quarter one of uh, 2021. So I think that if things start to open up, it'll still be slow. And just like the CDC clamped down, I think that they'll be slow to ramp up. So my expectation would be if there are live events that happen this year, they'll be small, 50 to 100 people. I think that there'll be a very strong hybrid component to make it more inclusive and to keep the greater audience coming. And I don't think that that's something that's going to go away. One of the things that I know from um, having worked in the event industry for such a long time is that their main KPI was putting seats in seats and getting warm bodies into a room. You know, they're finding out now was a little bit short-sighted was to have that sole focus because the opportunity that going virtual or hybrid presents is to significantly increase your total audience and the number of people that you can reach. And so I think that that is now that everybody's learned how to use the tools and now that the KPIs have shifted, I do think it's more of a fundamental shift that will stick. And it'll be interesting to see what people's definition of hybrid is. I think that that's the next thing that we're going to start talking about and having to figure out. Yeah, it certainly will be. Just a couple more minutes here with our guests today. I want to ask you a question. I've asked a few people on the show the last few weeks about just sort of things you miss and things you don't miss <laughs> from the beginning of Q1, sort of the old normal that will never be back. And in many cases, that is, there's things that we're going to miss and there's things that we're like, wow, um, it took a little bit of a pandemic. It took a little bit of a downturn shift in life to realize that some of that I kind of want to do leave behind. So what's something that you miss that you can't wait to do again? And what's something you don't miss that will no longer be part of your new normal moving forward? Hmm. I miss seeing my mom. And from a work perspective, I miss being able to be with my team in person. Basically, I think I saw them two or three times before this all cracked down. So I can't wait to be back in person with them because I do think that there is a valuable layer to that. And something that I'm really excited to not have to do and something excited about, I think, in general is the whole movement uh, to be more accepting of work from home. For me, mm -hmm. that was always kind of a challenge that not a lot of other people understood. And so the understanding that we now have going back to whatever that new normal is and appreciation for those folks that work from home, I think will probably make it a little bit easier to function and to get what I need done done. Well, I think certainly, you know, there's there's plenty of people that are going to be working from home now as sort of their new normal. There's I'm hoping that for us, we've got some bit of a hybrid. I don't imagine for our office, we're going to be ever again, like everybody in the office nine to five. I think there's going to be some version that is just because it's better for everyone's lives. Like we don't have to be yeah. in the car at the same time in the morning, in the car at the same time in the evening, creating rush hour anymore. So I think there's going to be a lot of positive things coming out of that as someone who has worked from home for most of your career, as you said. And I mean, like, like I occasionally work from home, but you know, being here when the kids are here with distractions that I'm not used to, I'm getting pretty good at being disciplined around that. You know, as people settle into this, are there other best practices that maybe you haven't seen or heard in all the blog posts and all the content that you might recommend other people think about as well that's really helped you? Yeah, keep a schedule. I think stick to your schedule, be religious about it. And what I also do is I clean in the morning or at night so that there mm -hmm. is, I take any of the distractions that I know are going to be there during the day. I take them off the table at night or in the morning so that they're just not available to me. And then I also don't keep a lot of food in the house. I mean, now with the pandemic, I keep a little bit more food around, but typically I try not to keep so much food around. Otherwise it's easy to go into the kitchen and just keep munching <laughs> and never, ever, ever turn on the TV. TV is completely off limits. It should not exist during the workday just to keep your focus. 
those are great pieces of advice. The food one's a hard one. I think my wife and I like to cook it. Even when we're not working from home, like, you know, we tend to cook a lot. So uh, there's an article in the journal actually a couple of days ago about bigger fridges, bigger people. <laughs> so we're all working from home. Gives a different meaning to the co- term COVID-19. You get the freshman 15, the COVID-19. Uh, good words of wisdom. We want to thank our guest today, uh, Corey McCarthy, the CMO at Socio. Check them out at socio.events. I'm really impressed with what they're doing there. And you can find links up there to Corey's summary of their event hackathon and lessons from that. It was really, really well done. I want to thank Paul as well for his great production of our event today. If you like what you heard today from Corey, you can find her episode on demand at salespipelineradio.com in just a couple of days. And we'll be back next week and every week, Thursday, 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. For my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Ah, uh, sure, and you've been listening to another episode here of the one show that delves deeply into sales pipelines right here in the Funnel Radio Network.